Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week. And uh, this week we have Andy Allen with us. Uh, he's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And as such, he has over, uh, overall responsibility for leading the members of that association uh, to uh, uh, be an advocate for, uh, for retailing in North Carolina. And of course, with the current health situation we have with the pandemic, the COVID-19 concerns, retailers have been affected many to a great extent, others not so much, and some actually, uh, Andy, I guess, are actually profiting from the situation, and, and it's business not only as usual, but maybe even business is better for some. So it's a mixed bag of tricks for your organization. Yes, sir. We've sort of had people in sort of three different buckets since the onset of COVID. One was the bucket that had grocery and uh, pharmacy and, and hardware in one bucket that were certainly deemed essential by every stretch of the imagination. And those, those industri- industries did very, very well. Then you had sort of another bucket, as you said, that sort of were in the middle, they were open, but the question was, were co- consumers coming to shop? And then you had the third bucket, which was places like department stores, as well as uh, jewelry stores or fine men's clothing that were closed completely, uh, that, that really were trying to get to the other side and, and get open and hope that their customers would come back. So how has this evolved over the, uh, with the current uh, situation as of today? How has it evolved? Uh, because we had a partial opening, and of course we're still under those uh, restrictions in North Carolina that uh, I guess we're in phase two, uh, and uh, that allows a partial opening. Uh, what has that done for the retailers who are in that second category that you mentioned? Uh- for a number of them, it, it's it's allowed them to to stay open and hopefully, like I said, weather the storm. Uh, the main thing they needed to do, and all the retailers needed to do from the very beginning, was make sure that they provided a safe shopping experience both for their customers and for their employees. And as as many of my members said, you can open the doors all day long and say you're open, but if you're but if your customers do not feel comfortable coming to the store, that you have done the right things that they're going to be safe, they're not going to come. Um, and so we have spent an inordinate amount of time with extra manpower, some stores closing early to do extra deep cleaning. Um, you know, you've seen things in certain stores, whether that was social distancing spaces on the floors or loudspeaker announcements to remind people to be cognizant of, of their fellow shoppers, but just going over and beyond trying to make sure that, that we provided a safe shopping experience. It, it has evolved though. I mean, we went from, as you said, you know, limited occupancy in some cases and some businesses closed. We went to, you know, the next executive order would allow a little bit more people in. Then we, you know, now we're in this sort of situation with, with face coverings and, and what does that mean for people that, you know, we were not dealing with early in March, but now that is, you know, front and center of all of retail right now at this time period. Well, and, uh, but it, it seems to me in the last week, particularly maybe the last 14 days, more and more people seem to be wearing masks uh, I, I, at least that's my impression. What do you see? Uh, we see that very much. I mean, I think you've seen customers sort of accept that responsibility, try to what they believe, take care of both themselves and their, and other customers or other people or employees. I think for us, what we emphasized from the very beginning with the governor's office and other local officials was if you want to do a face covering requirement, that's your policy decision to make. Just do not make the low, the front end retail worker, 
the mask or face covering police. You know, those, those, that 17 year old clerk at the grocery store or like, um, or teenage or college kid home that's working at the women's boutique didn't sign up to be the bouncer at the front of the store and tell the 55 year old middle-aged man that he can't come in the store because he's not wearing a mask. You know, that that enforcement ought to be left up to train law enforcement, not certainly to the frontline retail worker. We've seen story after story throughout the country where workers have confronted customers where they were required to do so and it ended up being assault or in one case in Flint, Michigan, a fatal shooting. So we really want to make sure we protect our employees and not put them in a situation that they are certainly not trained to handle as a situation may escalate. Well, that was one of my concerns early on was that uh, if it's a requirement, uh, who's going to enforce it? And uh, it seemed like uh, that uh, uh, the uh, government wasn't in any hurry to get into that role. And so they were sort of leaving it, uh, dumping it back on the, uh, uh, the uh, retail establishment or the restaurant or whatever. Uh, now, in the last week, of course, Best Buy and Walmart and a, a number of other big box uh, and nationwide outfits have now gone to a requirement for a face mask. Now, how will they go about enforcing theirs? If someone goes into the store with a face mask and passes the, the uh, if there's a temperature check and so forth, passes all that, but then decides to take it off, what's the situation then? Well, in, in some situations, Situations with some of the companies that you've mentioned, uh, they have hired, you know, trained security guards or health ambassadors to, to do that, uh, to, you know, to, to interfere or to intervene with those customers and, and ask them to do that. I think the question is, you know, in a number of small businesses or in rural areas, that may not be an alternative right now uh, to be able to do. You may not be able to hire somebody or afford to hire somebody whose sole job it is to make sure that people are wearing a facial covering. Um, those companies have made policy decisions and we had seen some more before that, uh, you know, Costco and uh, BJ's and Fresh Market and, and some others had implemented that policy previously. My understanding, you know, they're still allowing for people with health exemptions and, and other things that uh, are unable to wear a mask to still enter the store in a number of those situations. But I think, I think retailers are trying to, again, provide the safest shopping experience they can for both their consumer and the employees. The, the other issue I think you see in, in some of those stores are in more suburban areas and, and in larger cities. You know, it, there's a different divide. We, we all the time talk about the urban-rural divide. I think if you go east of 95 or west of 77, right now we're seeing sort of a differing opinion on the mask, and which makes it even doubly hard on retailers or restaurants or other businesses that are operating in those areas where there may not be as quite a big an uptick on the use of a mask as you may see in a Raleigh or a Carrier or a Charlotte. I understand that there's a scam going on right now and perhaps uh, you're well aware of it uh, where people are, are selling permits that uh, if you show it to the merchant, it dismisses you from the responsibility of carrying the mask and they're charging for this and it's a scam. I mean, there is no such thing as a permit that, that I know of. What about you? No, there is no such thing as a permit, but I will say under the governor's last executive order, they, and we worked with them a great deal on this, they issued guidance or a frequently asked question that said, if the retailer posts a sign at the front of the store that says masks are required in the store, that the retailer is deemed to be in compliance of the mask requirement. So you, you have put the customer on notice that you are following the governor's order and a mask is required. If you do that, you as the business are deemed to be in compliance. And uh, you know that is trying again to pro prohibit or prevent 
um, those you know um, interactions between customers who do not want to wear a mask in, in, in the the clerk at the retail front end retail clerk, um, whether they be a you know a bagger or a or a seventeen year old clerk at the boutique. So greatly appreciated that guidance from the governor's office again to help us avoid those situations like we've seen in so many other different states. Now you've got a number of retailers that I would call sort of low volume as far as traffic, such as an antique dealer or perhaps an art shop or even a mattress shop where they don't have nearly the, uh, the traffic count that say a, a grocery store or a drug store or uh, a department store would have. So uh, how has their business been affected? Is, is it sort of business as usual for some of these folks? It's business as usual, but I think people are, you know, they're staying closer to home um, and they're, they're using their dollars probably a little bit more discretionary wise. I mean, I think we, we have seen in certain sectors, for instance, bicycles have gone, the sale of bicycles has gone through the roof. You can't keep bicycles in stock. And if you try to go buy the color that you want for your child or the certain style, good luck on that because they, they're just none on, in stock. Whereas if you take a jewelry store or a men's fine, fine men's clothing store, what I've had them say to me is, you know, on fine men's clothing, people don't have a wedding to go to, or they don't have the country club to go to, or they don't have a funeral, or, or they're not wearing a suit to work. So it's hard to sell those items. Same way with a jewelry store, people have sort of pulled back on a couple of those discretionary items, unless things like bicycles or outdoor furniture or uh, boat dealers are doing very well right now. Um, I heard outdoor pool construction companies are doing very well. Outdoor living areas with patio furniture are doing very, very well. Although you may have to wait six weeks to get your item because it's all on back work. Well, we all had to worry for a while about uh, the supply of paper towels and toilet paper, but uh, that seems to, that uh, supply chain seems to have turned around and now there seems to be plenty on the shelves, but uh, that was a, there was a, certainly a run on toilet paper and paper towels there for a while. I wonder what causes uh, those kinds of runs. Well, on the paper towels and toilet paper, those are both very low profit items. Um, and if you think about before COVID, your shelving was full of toilet paper and paper towels. And they never expected the shelves to get cleaned in the first place and have to replenish them just because people were buying on a normal pace. Once they did, there's not enough of it being manufactured to, to reset that entire space and have everybody be able to get them. Now they've caught them back, they've caught back up with the supply and demand, I think on about everything except for some of the cleaning supplies. Now there's also been a concern about uh, meat in some cases, but I, I don't hear as much about that uh, in the news. What's the situation as far as meat processing? Uh, the meat processing has gotten much, much better. I think one of the issues we had was we as an American society have gotten used to going to the grocery store and buying organic chicken or this type of beef uh, or this type of cut of meat. And we all of a sudden got to a situation where they may not have organic chicken breast, but they had a whole chicken or they may have had chicken wings or thighs. Um, and so we've gotten spoiled as a consumer. And when the supply chain got hurt because of COVID and and that sort of thing, it, it sort of crunches a little bit. The, the meat supply has gotten much, much better. Um, also, people were buying all they could buy uh, at one point in time instead, instead of buying what they needed. And I think that has subsided. And now you're seeing regular supply chain back to normal for, for the most part in the, in the grocery side on, on meat, as well as eggs and milk and other items. Our guest is Andy Allen, and he is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. We're sort of getting an update on 
where our retailers in North Carolina stand during the COVID-19 crisis. And we will be back with more right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Andy Allen is our guest. He's originally from Southern Pines, a 1992 graduate of Elon College, and received his uh, law degree from the uh, Norman Wiggins School of Law at Campbell University. He became licensed to practice law in North Carolina the same year. Lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and of course, has been his present job now for how many years, uh, Andy? About three or four? Three I've been four? president for ni- for nine years. I've been with the Retail Merchants Association for 22 years now. Well, time seems like it flies. It hardly seems like it's <laughs> been nine years uh, since you assumed that role. We uh, In the first segment, we talked a lot about the COVID-19 situation. One of the things that I noticed on my notes that I didn't talk about was a coin shortage. Uh, yes, is, what, what's the situation on that? Well, what we had happen, it was sort of, it's one of those just ironic sort of situations. Um, a lot of change was locked up in places that businesses that were closed, whether that was in restaurants or in uh, bowling alleys or convention centers or uh, pool halls or bars. And so you had change that was locked up that was not being recirculated in society. At the same time, the U.S. Mints reduced what they were producing because of COVID and not bringing their full amount of staff back to work. Um, So coins and dollars were not being reprinted and it wasn't being recirculated like it normally is with banks. Uh, And a lot of people had that change jar that they instead, when they would take it and buy, buy things with it, they were staying home. So all of a sudden we've had a run on coins and coin and, and, and dollar bills as well. And so, you know, we have a number of retailers that are encouraging people to do a couple things. One, you know, round up for a charity. If your bill is 173, you know, would you be willing to round up an additional 27 cents for XYZ charity or encouraging people to pay with exact change or encouraging people to pay with, with a debit or a credit card, which actually costs the retailer a lot more, but you know, we're doing everything we can right now to sort of, make sure that we're getting people to bring the change in and, and recycle that. And we're working very closely with the banks and the credit unions to make sure that we're getting the allocations that we need to, to the stores. 
Well, we're going to leave the topic of COVID-19 and the uh, pandemic concerns that retailers have right now for the time being and move on to some other, uh, because business does go on. And, and of course, at some point in time, we're going to be over this crisis and things will get back to some form of being normal, although it may be a new normal. And we'll talk about that in the next segment also about what the new normal might look like. But uh, let's let's talk about right now any legislation that uh, uh, is affecting retailers either on the national level or on the state level. Okay. Um, well, you know, we had sort of a special session this year for COVID and we were back to the COVID situation. And then the normal short session that we had previously uh, that just finished up last Saturday. Uh, the special session, you know, came in and really looked at some at COVID issues of things that we could, excuse me, do with the federal dollars. Uh, for us on the retail side, did a couple things. One, we ensured that pharmacists are able to administer COVID uh, testing, which you're seeing throughout the state. A number of our pharmacies, both chain and independent, are conducting COVID testing throughout the state of North Carolina, uh, which has been very helpful to uptake the, the testing uh, number of testing sites. And additionally, should a vaccine become available uh, that's approved by the CDC, that pharmacists would be able to administer that and help offset that some of the, the, the need that would be going into doctor's offices and hospitals. So two very important pieces there um, on, on that piece, as well as some things like delaying of the taxes that you saw till July 15th from April 15th, uh, delaying of alcohol renewal permits. You know, many businesses that had alcohol permits like restaurants or a number of other places weren't able to be open. And so the legislature and the ABC commission helped push that date back. Um, also going, going forward into the short session in the special session, there was the provision about liability provisions or, or immunity so that a business that was trying to open could not be sued, um, for COVID. If you got COVID at a, you alleged at a business, the business had immunity as long as they could show they weren't intentionally or grossly negligent in, in doing something that would cause you to get that. Um, unlike a lot of communicable diseases, you can get COVID anywhere. It's not like asbestosis where if you work in a certain manufacturing facility, that's probably the only place you're going to get it. Whereas with COVID, you can get it at the post office, you can get it walking down the street, you can get it in a neighborhood function. So that was a huge thing, I think, for businesses. In the short session, very similar measure on that, uh, extended that out some, and it also helped, I think, protect some of the colleges that, that were really concerned about kids coming back to campus and and uh, and being concerned about being sued. And, and, you know, these businesses that have been closed, the last thing, especially a small business, that they want to have to deal with, they're trying to get their business up, make sure it's clean, make sure that their employees are taken care of, make sure their customers are taken care of. The last thing we wanted to do was see them have a class action lawsuit. Um, and then finally, one of the provisions we worked on too was one of the things we battled all year long and not battled is probably the wrong word was dealt with, which was we had about a 10 page spreadsheet of local orders on curfews and different things dealing with COVID. But the problem was many of these localities would not print those or send those to the department of emergency, of emergency management or put them on their website uh, so that you could know that this town had a curfew or this town had this occupancy requirement. And so there was a provision the General Assembly passed that we worked on that said, if you're going to declare a state of emergency at a local level or a curfew, you must send it to the public Department of Public Safety so they can log in and have it for everybody to see. And you must also put it conspicuously on your website so that the public knows that those are the rules that they need to play by. One of the things that's been in the news a lot was a act passed by Congress called the Payroll Protection Plan. 
I think that's it's PPP. I think that's PPP. what it stands for. Yeah. And uh, uh, so why don't you give us a little background, first of all, on what the act, uh, for those who might not be familiar with it, what the act covers, and then uh, how many people uh, in your organization, the some 25,000 stores that you represent across the state, were able to take advantage of it? Uh, so the PPP, Pay- Paycheck Protection Program, was in the CARES Act uh, that was passed federally. And what it was intended to do was to encourage businesses to maintain their payrolls and maintain the workers that they had on staff rather than letting them go and letting them go on to unemployment. And so you were able to get a file and request a loan, and they did two, two different sets of that. Uh, and the loan enabled you to spend that loan on certain items, such as payroll, benefits, rent, um, health benefits, health insurance, that sort of thing. And the loan, for the most part, as long as you're expending it on, on items that are approved, the loan is forgivable, meaning you do not have to pay that loan back. I will say that for a number of businesses has been an absolute lifeline, especially for the ones that were closed down or who saw their revenues drop by 70, 80, 90%. It allowed them to keep their employees employed and in a lot of cases maintain health insurance, uh, made sure that they didn't get evicted from their, from their place of business um, by being able to pay their rent and use that sort of as a cash lifeline um, with it. Now there is, you know, some, obviously some paperwork with it and, and the banks had to, you know, really turn those items around. The financial institutions did, but uh, that may be something that saves a number of businesses before all is said and done. Now that plan is still uh, still available, as I understand, because uh, the full amount, while at one time it looked like the full amount had already been absorbed, apparently it was not. The first run, the first set of money went probably in the first three days. Uh, as you said, the, the second part, second pot of money for that program, there is still some availability for that. Uh, that the, the businesses may take advantage of. You know, additionally, you had in North Carolina pivoting back a minute. Uh, money was appropriated to the Golden Leaf Foundation to do similar type grants, although those are loans that are paid back over five years at five and a half percent interest, uh, as well as the Rural Center did that. And the General Assembly just also passed something that if a business was not eligible for a PPP loan, uh, they are now eligible for some grants from the state of North Carolina as well, uh, up to, I believe, five hundred up to, up to $250,000. Uh, again, to try and sort of be a bridge to get people hopefully to the other side of, of COVID. As I understand, uh, the PPP plan was available only uh, to those employees who employ less than 500 employees. Did that catch any of your uh, chain organizations in the state uh, or were they able to say, well, no, wait, actually we are local in one town and, and we only have 125 employees in say Raleigh, but statewide we've got more. How, how, was, how were they affected? It sort of depended on how they were legally structured. If the companies were seen as sort of separate entities, there was a situation I taught, you know, some, some small retailers had four or five, six stores and were able to be, be eligible for that program. If you were a larger business, as you said, for more than 500 employees, they were sort of not included in this program, although they would be included in the program that's being made available by the state because they were not eligible for PPP. We had a number of our, our members though that took advantage of that program and, and, and again, it helped them maintain their employees. Their employees wanted to keep coming back to work. They didn't want to be on unemployment. They wanted to keep trying to help that business grow. And so that enabled that program enabled them to do so. 
Now, back to school is normally a big uh, opportunity for a number of the retailers that you uh, are involved with, uh, uh, school supplies, clothing, uh, things of this nature. Uh, right now, back to school is sort of up in the, in the air as to how it will take place. Uh, in many cases, it's going to be uh, somewhat back to the classroom, but in many cases, it's going to be done by, uh, by the Internet and other forms of long-distance learning. Uh, and of course, we always had a, or have had a tax-free day. Uh, what's going to happen in that, in that uh, area? Well, our tax-free day, um, unfortunately, went away in 2013 when, when the state got rid of a number of tax credits and lowered the personal income and the corporate income tax and some other things. But the back-to-school holiday has always been, or the back-to-school shopping has always been a major component of retail. I think you sort of probably will see a transition from some of the things we used to buy more of uh, to other items. Um, with more people doing school potentially virtually, you'll see maybe more expenditures on computers and software. I've already talked to a couple of furniture stores are selling more desks than they've ever sold before because parents are trying to figure out where to put their child in their house without, you know, with a defined study space. Um, it will probably almost look more like college shopping because of, for the kid than the normal back to school shopping that we used to see with pens and papers and crayons. Um, you know, we did see on the, on the clothing side, it's interesting, you know, many, most of the department stores and clothing stores and shoe stores were closed down during the first phase of COVID and they opened up in phase two and we saw tremendous, you know, uptick in the sale of shoes and clothes because those kids had grown out of their previous shorts and t-shirts and shoes. Our guest is Andy Allen. We'll be back with one more segment as we talk about how the COVID-19 crisis is affecting the retailers in the state of North Carolina. And we'll do that right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And so far on the program, we've been talking about the effects of the COVID-19 crisis on retailers. Uh, of course, retailers are, uh, there's some 25,000 stores that 
have membership in the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, uh, about 60% of which are independent stores. Um, and uh, we've been talking about their concerns and how they've been keeping their employees and their customers safe. Uh, we've talked about the signage and liability. We've also talked about some shortages like the coin shortage. One of the things that's been interesting to me has been the, uh, the direction signs in the supermarkets where they have aisles that uh, you're supposed to go in one direction or another. That, that seems to be being uh, recognized as, as being okay because in the times I've been out shopping, I've noticed that everyone seems to be following that rule. And if you don't, by accident, you get a dirty look. I, I know that also. <laughs> Well, and that's an interesting one because we had, you know, that ended up being a recommendation from the governor and his executive order. Uh, part of it was we had the conversation with the governor's staff that when some of our retailers had to do that in other states, what they found was it was counteractive in that uh, some customers ended up staying in the store 12 to 15 minutes longer than they normally would because of the one-way aisles. And it also increased customer conflict because, as you said, somebody was at the, the end of the end of the aisle and the chicken noodle soup was six feet into the aisle. And instead of going down the next aisle and all the way back up, they reached six feet in and tried to grab the can of chicken noodle soup, which caused a, a, an argument with the other customer. So, um, you know, it works in some locations, but in some, again, it sort of defeats the purpose of getting customers in and out of the store quickly. We also talked about the PPP plan and several other things that the government has done. There's talk now about some additional government assistance, uh, both for the individuals and also for uh, some of the, uh, the stores and, and businesses. What are you hearing about that and how's that progressing and what's your projection of how that's going to turn out? You know, we're hearing, you know, of course, Congress uh, has a lot more ability to do things with money than the state because the state has to absolutely balance their budget every year. I think one of the things we're wa all watching very closely is what happens with the unemployment money. You know, it, the uh, CARES Act had an additional $600 of federal money that runs out per week on July 31st. And, and what we've seen in some cases are uh, workers that, you know, were getting the state benefit of $300 and an additional $600. Uh, for a total of 975 roughly dollars and it was hard to get that person to come back to work back to employment when they could stay home and, and make a, a significant amount of money um, so I we were hearing in some cases they may instead do sort of that $600 as a bonus for returning to work uh, a number of our retailers tried to hire people from some of the restaurants and it got more difficult our members were in need of employees because we needed extra people to clean and do you know, talk to customers and, and, and stock items, uh, but we had a hard time finding them, in fact. And, and so I think it'll, we're really closely watching how that ends up and whether that gets extended or transitioned to a bonus to return to work. Well, I was going to ask you about that because uh, obviously an awful lot of people, especially in the restaurant industry and the uh, uh, hospitality industry, uh, are, are facing unemployment. But uh, many of your members are actually hiring and uh, are advertising for employees. Uh, so where's the balance in there? How, how many, how many people do you think percentage wise maybe did, have lost their jobs so far? Uh, there's a tremendous amount of people to that have lost their jobs and it's been very unfortunate. I mean, especially if you think about some of the businesses that have remained closed, whether that be a gym or a bar or, you know, convention centers or, or hotels and that sort of thing. Uh, I think we all want to get everybody back to full employment. You know, it also hopefully comes with benefits and those sort of things. 
uh, our members have really had to pick up people, you know, pick up employees to, again, I talked to a couple grocery stores and some of them have added, you know, three, four or five people per shift in some cases that are doing nothing but cleaning, you know, um, which comes with a cost and that's a cost, but it's what needs to happen to keep that customer and the employees safe. But we, we, we need all the people we can get. Similarly, you know, commercial drivers are in high demand because goods to the store so that we can turn that over at the grocery store or other areas. And those are in short supply too. Uh, you know, we're hoping people will use, maybe if they were on unemployment or they were out of a job, hopefully used it to get more training on certain things that will help bring new job skills as we, as we come out of this situation. There have been a number of businesses that uh, were so affected that they just chose not to reopen after the initial round of problems. Uh, do you have any count at all or any understanding uh, to what extent that is affected the membership in your organization? So far, our, our, we've been fairly lucky. I mean, we've had some larger members of ours that are multi-state chains that have filed uh, for bankruptcy and have come back out of bankruptcy. Um, a number of them, you know, weathered the storm and, and they're back and they're doing okay. A lot of them had to figure out a way to operate differently. And, you know, whether that was curbside pickup early on that they were encouraged, you know, doing a lot of social media and getting people to do curbside pickup or they were delivering items to people's homes. Uh, there's a bookstore that's a member of ours that, you know, closed their physical store, but delivered books all over Wake County, you know, because, one, kids needed books for school things, math books and those sort of things. And secondly, people wanted books to read while they were, while they were staying at home where they weren't a puzzle. You know, and those, those types of companies could have sat back and said, we're going to, you know, wait for people to come to us. But instead, they went to the customer. They figured out a new dynamic uh, in order to be successful. Um, another one of my members, you know, did mystery tie boxes and mystery dress shirt boxes that you could buy for a certain price point to try and move inventory and improve cash flow. So you had to really figure out a way to sell your way out of this in order to be successful. Well, of course, you know, one of the things that, of course, has uh, uh, definitely been on the cancellation list has been weddings, and that affects a number of your retailers. Are there any other such uh, things like weddings that have affected uh, retailing? Um, you know, I, th I think in certain areas, things that are – when you were dependent upon an area, and we've, we've talked about college sports, you know, I, I've heard – you know, the reference not to North Carolina, but Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you know, for every home Alabama football game, it's $25 million to the surrounding economy between hotels and, and restaurants and that sort of thing. I think a number of our members, you know, the concert venues or um, the thing like in my town, Friday night on white, which is every Friday night, every other, or one Friday a month, every, a concert where all the restaurants and all the retailers do really well those items have gone away. So especially if you were tied to a special event, whether it's a wedding or some other sort of concert, minor league baseball game, those things, if you were dependent upon that traffic, you were really having a hard time of, of late. Well, now, you know, that's, that's an interesting situation because while that is a uh, tragedy to some who were planning wed weddings and, of course, high school graduations were also affected uh, and college graduations, and that's sad because that's such a wonderful time in uh, young people's lives to have had been robbed of it. And essentially that's what's happened. But uh, by canceling a number of these things, this actually puts more money in people's pockets for alternative spending. In other words, if you were going to spend say uh, 
couple of hundred dollars going to a big concert at uh, one of the concert venues. Now you've got a couple of hundred dollars in your pockets. And so there, there I, has anybody done a study of how much money is in the hands of the consumers right now? Because a number of things they can't buy. No, and I think that's a good point. I talked to somebody yesterday whose wife, he said she talked me into it, but I, you know, she said, we're not going to all the concerts that we usually go to or the minor league baseball games and our kids aren't going to camp. So let's buy a boat, you know, and that, and they said, he said, you know, so we bought a boat and we're going out on the lake every, you know, all the time. Um, I think there's a, a large amount of money in people's pockets. I also think you've seen people that have creatively done things. I know some of the, for instance, some of the concert venues and some of those will offer you a credit towards next year's concerts, you know, because they need the cash flow. Uh, but a, a large amount of money has been returned to the consumer's po- pocket. In some cases, some of those, if you're if you were a owner of a of a business that was closed, you may be using that money to help pay your payroll, though, unfortunately, uh, rather than you know going out and buying buying something um, that you normally would. But again, you've seen people cancel trips and flights and hotels, you know, instead to you know to try and buy things that they may be doing in their backyard, whether that's badminton or you know putting in a pool. Now, this, of course, this is an international crisis. Uh, many countries are, have been a little ahead of us in, in facing this, this situation, and some are uh, online with us, but this does affect the import and exports and the tariffs and such such as this. What, have, uh, what effect has the uh, COVID crisis been as far as exports and imports, on, uh, and how does that affect uh, retailers? Uh, I think it's affected us both on both regards. Um, for instance, you had a lot of uh, North Carolina is a large exporter of pork. And when we had, you know, meat issues here and meat supply issues here, that product probably didn't get sent overseas. It probably stayed closer to home uh, just because of supply and demand. Similarly, you know, I've, I've talked to different retailers who needed components that were being made overseas, whether that be in China or Japan or, or somewhere else. And without that component, the product that they were selling wasn't going to get built. Um, you know, I mentioned in some cases, porch furniture or patio furniture. You know, some of the retailers I've talked to, their, their, uh, their store is more like a showroom at the moment because they're on back order for some of these items that are being imported, you know, for six months or for 60 days, you know, for a longer period of time. Um, you know, one thing that's been important is the home building um, you know, segment has maintained, which means people still needed furniture. They still needed appliances. We just hope that we were getting the amount of appliances and, and furniture that we could get to put in those people's homes. Our guest is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And we've talked in detail about uh, a number of the topics that uh, uh, concern retailers. And of course, the consumer is very concerned about that because they and the retailers are partners in this process of supplying the needs for their homes. And we have one final segment with Andy and we'll be back right after these messages to talk with Andy. Hey dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. 
At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Andy Allen, who's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, and we've been talking about the effects of the current COVID-19 pandemic crisis and how it's affecting retailers. A reminder, this program is heard in two different versions on a number of our affiliates. A number of affiliates carry the full hour version of the program. Others carry the half hour version. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half hour version and you would like to hear the two segments that you missed, our producer, uh, uh, who's Jason Kong, cuts those out and makes those available on the website. So you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and hear those two segments that you missed. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well on carolinanewsmakers.com. So Andy, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we, this is a, this is a situation like we've never seen before. I think almost every interview program that we start, almost every newscast that we start always sort of starts off with, we've never seen times like this, but truly we never have seen times like this. And, uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of an interesting situation. Um, they, the uh, good news this week about the potential uh, timing of a, of a vaccine was encouraging. Uh, and some of the accounts, in, especially in North Carolina, look a little bit more encouraging. Uh, how is the spirit of the merchant? Uh, and how do your members feel about what's going to happen long range and short range? Uh, I think, you know, based on what they've been through for the last, you know, 16 weeks, roughly, um, there is some, some renewed optimism. Um, I think there's a, a look ahead, you know, based on some of the warnings, you know, a lot of retailers make a large amount of their profit in the fourth quarter around the holiday season. And a lot of them are planning for how to, you know, how to order and deal with Black Friday, uh, how to order and deal for the Thanksgiving, Christmas holidays. Um, so that, that is a, a big consideration at the moment because they're doing that ordering now if they haven't already done it. Um, well, and that's a, that's a, that's a big event. And that's a, a lot of traffic out in those, uh, those times. So that I hadn't thought about looking that far ahead, but black Friday and the holiday shopping season uh, is something to be concerned about. Yes. And, and I think part of the other issue is if you were a department store or a clothing store or a shoe store and you were closed down for a significant amount of time, you know, you were inventory that you needed to clear out and get cash flow back so that you could deal with your vendors. I will say for the most part, the retailers I've talked to, their vendors 
that they buy from have been very understanding, sympathetic, and know that these businesses are hopefully in for the long haul and are working with them very closely on financing or make, making sure they've got a right size inventory uh, to, to do. I think the biggest thing that, you know, consumers can do is, especially, you know, you've got these brick and mortar businesses out there that have, I've said so many times on this show that have sponsored the little league team and been the, you know, the, the fabric of their community. Uh, they're providing safe places for the customer and their employees. And we need, you know, customers to go out and support them. You know, when it is time to, to come out of the house, to, you know, to go out and support those, those, those brick and mortar businesses and, and show them your support because we need them there long-term. We don't need dark stores uh, on main street or in the mall or in a shopping center. You know, it's not good for us. It's not good for sales tax collections. It's not good for what helps fund the economy or the jobs they provide. A number of uh, businesses uh, like the radio business, for example, and law firms, accounting firms, uh, uh, even uh, many doctor's offices and so forth have learned that uh, some of the things that we thought we had to do in person can be done uh, remotely and that uh, uh, there's a general feeling that there's going to be an increase in the number of people who work at home. Um, How do you think that will affect retailing long term? Um, it probably has the largest effect on a couple things. One would be your convenience stores who are selling gasoline and, you know, the person that walks in and picks up a pack of nabs and a, and a Gatorade or the, the salesman who's driving back and forth and is making those, those stops. So it affects that. Additionally, it affects things like, um, again, clothing, because if people aren't wearing a coat and tie or they're not dressing up to go to work every day, certainly that is affected. Um, I think for technology-wise, it probably improves – that part of it in that people were buying the laptop and the software license and those sort of things to be able to, to work remotely. Um, and it, it means a situation where in certain instances you don't have to work in the city. You don't have to, you know, you may see more people from California, New York, other high expensive areas move to places like North Carolina that may, that are much more cost effective, cost efficient to do their job and can do it remotely. You know, on the retail side, we still believe it's a very social, you know, activity that people like to be together and they like in, in a lot of times to touch the item and see the item much more so than they do sometimes from remote access. We haven't talked about shopping malls and shopping centers. And of course, as you alluded to, uh, there's sort of been a trend recently toward uh, more uh, buying away from brick and mortar stores. What, uh, how are shopping centers and malls reacting to the current situation? I think shopping centers and malls are having to make sure that they are sort of repurposing themselves to maintain brick and mortar, but also have other activities that there is an experience with it. Uh, again, showing that you're providing a safe shopping experience for the consumer, uh, that you are doing everything you can, you know, to, to do that. Um, and you, you've got the best tenants that you can provide in there. But again, you've got to provide a place that people want to socially go and feel comfortable doing so. Um, but it, with any retailer, you're going to have to have sort of an omni-channel. You've got to be online. You've got to also, we believe, have brick and mortar. You've seen, for instance, many, you know, a company like Amazon, the largest internet retailer in the world, you know, and just recently announced they were building a store in Crabtree Valley Mall. So, you know, there is a, there is a, a realization that you have to be in both places, both online as well as, uh, as, well as remote. Well, it's interesting how things go around and come around because retailers 
are getting into the home delivery business more and more, and Amazon is opening retail stores. So I guess that's a that's a uh, admission on the part of both that there's some merit to both types of retailing. Absolutely, and you know you don't want to be the retailer that misses that online sale if you're a brick and mortar, and uh, you want to be able to bring the customer in, but you also realize that you know, one of those nasty rainy Saturdays in February, it's sometimes hard to get the customer out, but maybe they'll go online to your, your small brick and mortar retail site and order that same item, or, and maybe you'll come by and pick it up, or maybe they'll deliver it to you. I just think you'll see the business model change. I, you know, I've talked to a women's boutique here who did delivery, had never done delivery before, had never done curbside pickup before, uh, and had her son and one other person doing it for and she will continue doing that just because she saw an uptick in, in business and another way to reach customers. Andy, you've got about uh, 30 seconds. And why don't you take that 30 seconds to direct a message directly to the retailers who may be listening of what your best advice is for the next, uh, next 30 days. For the next 30 days, what I would tell retailers is, is to look sort of at a way to be as, as have as much ingenuity as you can and sell your way out of this. Figure out a way to touch and, and touch your consumer. But most importantly, you've got to show them social media-wise and otherwise that you're providing a safe experience for them when they come in the store. You can open your doors all day long, but if they don't feel safe and comfortable in your store, they're not going to come and spend money with you. That was almost perfect. You, you left me with four more seconds I was counting on. <laughs> I think we may offer you a job in radio because you're trying to <laughs> Our guest has been Andy Allen, who's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share uh, it with a friend or pick up those two segments that you missed that are not carried on the stations that carry the 30-minute version, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, who faithfully promises me that he'll have another interesting guest next week. So the next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.